Hey, everybody. I'm sorry. God has just been, God has just been wrecking me. It's the kind of wrecking that's a good kind of wrecking. I just want to see God move at our church so bad. I want to see God move in my heart too. Not lead pastor vision and plan for the church, God work in the church, it's me. I want to see God work in my heart. I want to see God work in our church. I want to see God work in our city. We, worked, we did not plant this church for nothing. We didn't plant this church because we had some fancy plan. We did not plant this church because we wanted to make a name for Collective Church or for me or my co-planter, Casey. I don't even know how to express it. I was in a back room earlier, just ugly crying, sobbing. I don't even know what it's about. I don't know how to tell you how I feel. I don't know how to express it. In the moment with God, I, I didn't know how to express it. I was just crying. church, move in our hearts, move in our city. We need you, Jesus. You came into this world and then you died on a cross to make a way for us to come to you. So we want to come to you. Thank you for making a relationship with you possible. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Thank you for declaring us righteous despite our frailties despite our shortcomings, despite our constant mistakes. Thanks that we can find grace and forgiveness and mercy in you because of your shed blood.
and we come to you now. With open hearts. We want to receive from you now. Would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, have your way. Move in this place, move in our hearts. There's only one way forward, and that is in just submitting to you, Jesus, and recognizing that you are our king. We give you our allegiance. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Be with us now in a special way. We pray, amen. Well, I'm supposed to be giving a bunch of announcements right now. I'll just say this. We'll, we'll talk about it later, maybe. We'll, we'll mention them uh, at the end of the service, but I would say just scan the QR code that's on the back of the chair in front of you, and you can figure it out as far as the stuff that's going on and what to do and next steps and all that. There's a QR code. That's my announcement. Oh, man. It's hard to believe it's been eight years. There's a lot of people that are new to collective and and so I want to take some time this morning uh, to uh, go over some things that have always been a part of our church. Um, and I want to give you a vision for um, what we're calling people to in our ninth year. I mentioned earlier that Casey, a dude named Casey, for those of you that don't know him, uh, Casey and I planned a collective church together. Um, he's been here twice in the last year as a guest speaker. He was here a few weeks ago, so some of you may, might be getting to know him. But God gave the two of us um, a vision that was pretty simple. A vision to establish a family of Jesus followers that love one another, that would participate in his work, contributing their time, abilities, and resources and live as embedded missionaries on the west side to make disciples for Jesus. Do we have a picture of the early days? Look at that hair. <laughs> yeah. Crazy back then. We're just babies. We were driven by... Um, the belief that the church does not have a mission, but that the mission has a church to represent Jesus and his kingdom, to make disciples. That was the whole plan. That was the whole point. That was the driving thing. On August 6, 2014, I think we have a picture of this too. This is our very first prayer meeting. And that's not beer in those solo cups because we're spiritual people. <laughs> But this is our very first prayer meeting. Some of you that are in this photo might be in the room right now. There's Melissa. Look at little baby Esme right there on her lap. 
I think that's Ross there in the white shirt and then Daniel Lee on the chair. Man. At the end of LaSalle Avenue in Culver City, we gathered that first night just to pray, to seek the Lord. Many of us, we didn't know he was even going to be there, but many of us uh, were from the same church at the time. We were planted and sent out by a church called Reality LA in Hollywood, and, and it, it's a very large church, and it was even larger at the time, and so we didn't even know each other very well necessarily, but we were aligned and united about wanting to see God move on the west side, and we were hungry to see God move. We knew that we couldn't do it without him. Our prayers were just basically, God, do this thing. Again, like I mentioned earlier, don't make us a success in this. Don't put us on the map. Jesus, put yourself on the map. Like that verse that says, Father, glory, Jesus is speaking. He says, Father, glorify yourself. And the, a voice comes from heaven and he says, I have and I will again. And that was our prayer. God, glorify yourself here on the west side. And we committed to pray like this on a weekly basis. And we did so for 14 months before we launched our first Sunday gathering, praying on a weekly basis. Over time, we would develop a, a framework for discipleship that was oriented around four key relationships how we relate to Jesus, how we relate to one another, how we relate to what we have and possess, and how we relate to the city itself. So the first one, how we relate to Jesus. How we relate to Jesus is that we are to be responsible followers of Jesus. We live in a city that hates Jesus and has rejected him. But Jesus calls us to himself. He calls us into relationship. And our aim is to be with him, to know him so that we can live for him. It's really hard to live for him if you don't know him. It's really hard to know him if you're never with him. So this was all about knowing him and growing in him. In the way that we relate to one another, that we would be responsible family members, spiritual family, family members. We live in a city, a city that is, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about it often, this epidemic of loneliness in this city. We live in our cars. We're essentially strangers to everybody. And we, we wave and we nod and we smile to people maybe, but there's this epidemic of loneliness in this city where we don't feel known and we don't feel like we know anybody. And many of us don't have family in the city. That's why not only collective, but the city empties out at Christmas time. Everyone goes home. Everyone goes back to where they came from. So people have left family and come here. So what would it look like for us to be a spiritual family? Not in, not in reaction to our city because no one's here. Our family isn't here. Not because of that. What would it look like for us to be a spiritual family because the gospel makes us a spiritual family? The gospel makes us spiritual brothers and sisters. And here in Los Angeles, we only have the opportunity to live that out because our family isn't here. So what does it look like for us to do that here? 
you've been adopted into the family of God. Ephesians chapter 2 says that um, we become members of the household of God. So this, is all, this was all about recognizing one another in the relationship that we have. So recognizing and relating. And then when it comes to what we possess, that we would be responsible stewards. We live in a city where selfishness and materialism reigns. Where what I earn is mine. What I have is mine. What I possess is mine. But everything that we have has been given to us. The breath in our lungs the time we have, of course, the money in our pockets, whatever. Everything we have has been given to us. And while we possess it, while we possess these things, God retains ownership of it all. So we have to steward what has been entrusted to us in such a way that reflects God's heart and reflects what he wants and and what he desires. So this is all about receiving and releasing And then the way we relate to our city, that we would be responsible disciple makers. We live in a city full of people that Jesus loves and he died for. Whether they love him or not. And Jesus commissions us, his followers, to participate in his mission by reaching people and making disciples so that they would know Jesus as king and give him their allegiance. Here's the thing. We don't make Jesus our king. Like who are we to enthrone him and, and, and to make him king? We are not kingmakers. He is the king. We just recognize it. He is our king. And our job, our mission, what God has called us to do is to introduce people to Jesus that they would recognize him as king and give him their allegiance. And in turn, making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So this was all about making, maturing, and multiplying. How do we do this? Well, the most common approach is to offer a plethora of ministry options that people can pick and choose from. Things that, ways that they can stay busy in the Christian world, in the church world, where there's a little something for everyone. It's literally like creating a ministry menu we just you know, run our finger down the page like, no, 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 no. Yeah, maybe this. I'll try this. But you end up saying no to more than you say yes to. So we took a little bit of a different approach. Rather than create a ministry menu, we just came up with a meal ourselves. Something that was well-balanced, something that we felt like this will be good for, for us. This is, this is well-balanced. This is what we need. This will, this will help us to draw near to God as followers of him. This will, this will cultivate a sense of uh, and foster a sense of love for God and dedication and commitment to God, surrendering our lives to God that we would live out our relationship with him that we would be committed to the process of growing in him. So 
something that would help us grow as responsible followers of Jesus, responsible family members, responsible stewards, and responsible disciple makers. So as we enter into our ninth year, these things are, are, are still what we are calling people to so that we can be the church that we're called to be. So I, I want to lay it out for us this morning. I want to lay out what we're calling people to and the ways that we can engage together so that we can grow as disciples of Jesus and the spiritual family and these people who are called to follow Jesus and make disciples on the west side. The first way that we, we, we thought, okay, let's, this is the first thing we can call to people to. Um, if, I, in a, if I start with the program side of it, um, is our neighborhood dinners. And our neighborhood dinners happen in each region. Um, they happen every other week. They're happening this week, by the way. So that's one less announcement we have to make later. <laughs> um, but this is just the opportunity where we can just like, invest in one, one another and grow in our relationship with one another because we are a spiritual family, right? Just incremental investments that we are depositing on a daily basis. Well, not daily basis, but on a semi-weekly basis, a bi-weekly basis. Just little conversations, getting to know people, hearing their story, finding out what, it's all, what they're all about and what makes them tick, how they came to know Jesus, how they ended up in Los Angeles, how they ended up at Collective Church. Our neighborhood dinners are just like these social opportunities because we care about one another. We're a spiritual family, and this was just a rhythm that we developed so that we could just spend time and get to know one another a little bit more. Because we are a gospel-made family. And we believe that it's in the context of relationships that we grow spiritually. And these relationships are also a, con a conduit for ministry as we follow Jesus together. And over this last year, um, the total participation rate or attendance of our neighborhood dinners was 1,269 people. The invitation in this is to invest in building relationships with our spiritual family. And then we created a connect process. Because if people matter and we, if we care about relationships, we created this robust connect process that would be carried out at the regional level like most of our ministry stuff does. And so the call for us to participate in, in this is if you are not new to Collective Church, you have an opportunity and I would say a responsibility to play a part in helping people connect with their church family where they can grow in Jesus and mature in their faith. What we wanna do with this is reduce the amount of time people feel new and unknown. So they can grow in Jesus, so that they can belong to us as a family. They belong to us, we belong to them. And that they can join us on mission. So the invitation here is to engage in hospitality, which literally means showing kindness to outsiders. And then because relationships matter and we want to help people connect in family, we the next obvious thing was how do we care for one another? Because people matter. So how we care for them matters. So we, we created this care process that's also administered through our our, our, our ministry regions, our, our regional networks. Because as a family, we are responsible to and for one another. 
And so because of that, we want to seek to serve one another. And we've been able to serve people who've had babies. We've been able to serve people who've lost loved ones. We've provided dozens of meals. We've helped people pay rent. We've helped people move. Not only have we helped people move into the city, we've helped people move out of the city. Because that's okay, and it happens sometimes. And the part that each of us can play in this is to be the kind of person that others can count on when they are in need. And we put this together, we designed this whole thing years ago, but just to give credit where it's due, I think he, there he is. He's not gonna like this. Jeremy Migginson's the back corner over there. I know, I know, I know. Just deal with it, bro, just deal with it. We designed this years ago, but Jeremy Migginson has taken this to the next level. And many of you have benefited from that, not only in receiving care, but being given the opportunity to provide care for people. And he's raised up a team around him. So it's not just Jeremy, but it's many of you that have been actively engaged in this. And so I just want to thank you for that. And I'm just so proud of, of how we care for one another as a spiritual family. It's literally one of the best things we do. Amen. So the invitation here is to follow the example of Jesus by serving others. Our Sunday services provide also another opportunity to serve others. And, and when we serve others, what's happening is there is we are sort of, un, like we're sort of like reordering our priorities. We're sort of looking at, okay, what is important to me? What matters to me? How am I gonna orient my life today or this week? And we orient it in such a way that we put others before ourselves, the way that we're called to, the way that scripture calls us to. So instead of being driven by our own desires and our preferences and what helps us um, live a life of comfort according to our preferences and tastes and all that kind of stuff, we're like, no, 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 I'm going to serve other people. I'm willing to sacrifice for others, and I'm willing to be inconvenienced for others. And we want to normalize serving as something that is a regular part of following Jesus. And somewhere along the line, and this is a very typical church thing, and we were a part of it, we've separated serving from following Jesus. They're like, wait. And when we caught that, we realized that, wait, that's not good. That doesn't make any sense. So we folded that into our regional ministry approach. And now different, re uh, different uh, regional networks serve on different Sundays. And we're so grateful for the way that our church has, 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 has come alive in that. And Yes, there's been challenges associated with it, but it, for the most part, it's like been like this massive success. It's, it's been a part of the newcomer process because people are meeting one another, they're serving one another. It's helped us to build relationships with one another. It's connected people to God's work. People have engaged in ways that they haven't before. And like I was just thinking, uh, the Sawtell Westwood region that is here serving this today. And uh, yeah, let's give them a thanks, will we? I was just talking to them earlier about just how grateful I am um, that we can now like just take ownership of this together and serve those that are coming to our Sunday gatherings and helping to facilitate these opportunities to meet with Jesus. And so we wanted to normalize serving. And over this last year, we had 122 people say yes to serving this, this year. Many of them serve every three weeks. So it's a very regular basis, so 122 people that are just serving, and most of the time serving like without any kind of fanfare or attention or anything like that, and that's many of you. So thank you very much. 
because when we're serving on Sundays, not, our, not only are we helping facilitate this important rhythm for our church family, but we're helping to create an environment for those that are gathering with us who might not even have a relationship with Jesus. So the invitation here is to participate in God's work. Another way to, that we are calling people to engage is by giving, giving financially. And just like serving, giving also <laughs> requires a reordering of our priorities. Just to, to give an illustration, does anyone happen to have a crisp, brand new $100 bill <laughs> with them at the moment? <laughs> Wonderful. I'm going to hold on to this. <laughs> Valerie, does he normally walk around with money like this in his pocket? <laughs> Anybody else? Anyone else happen to have a brand new $100 bill? Hey, I also do. Wow. Imagine that. Everyone knows that Hayden's a high roller. So here's the thing. Obviously, that was the, those were planted. Those were planned in advance. It was planned in advance. And the second I said, does anyone have a $100 bill? Ken's like, yeah, right here. And I asked again, and Hayden was like, yeah, right here. And the reason why they gave it up to me, where they brought these $100 bills to me, the reason why they gave them to me so easily is because they knew that these were not theirs. I gave, this, I gave these bills to them before the service. I pulled them on the side. I said, I know this is kind of weird, but can you help me out with something? I want to just give a little illustration. I only asked for what was already mine. And it was given to them to steward for a time. It was given to them to hold on to for a time. But they knew that I was going to call for it again. They knew I was going to say, I want that back. I gave it to you, but at some point I'm going to ask for you to give it back to me. They only possessed it because I had entrusted it to them. But it was never really theirs. Everything that we have belongs to God. Everything that we have belongs to God. We might possess it, but it came to us by his hand and it belongs to him. And how we steward what God has entrusted to us matters. Because if these dudes didn't return these bills, I would not have been happy with that. <laughs> so our stewardship of these things matters. And so when it comes to our money, and recognizing that what we have, the finances we have, comes from God. It's not a matter of how much of our money we will give to God. It's a matter of how much of God's money will we keep for ourselves. God owns it all, not just the portion we give back to him. Sometimes we think, all right, God, I'll give you this. Now it's yours. It's like, nope. It's more like, God, this is yours, and so I give it back to you. We've just come to the end of our fiscal year. And just to be totally honest, I got to tell you, church, 
financially speaking, we're not doing so hot. We're falling behind about $4,000 a week just to break even. So the simple question is, if you don't consider yourself part of our church family, cool, that's fine, we're glad you're here. But if you do consider yourself part of our church family, I would invite you to, to evaluate how you support the work of God here and how you're invested in what God is doing here with the things that God has entrusted to you. How are you stewarding what is already his? And here's another question. If everyone gave like you do, what would collective church look like? What would this little mini speech I'm giving right now sound like? What would I be talking about? What report would I giving back to our church about the state of our finances? If everyone gave like you do. We recently lost our offices because our co-working space shut down. And so that kind of like made us start looking around and considering new opportunities and where we can end up. And uh, we ended up having the opportunity to move into a mid-sized space. And uh, we were really excited about this. We weren't initially looking for that. Um, but the, we had the opportunity and uh, we were excited. Um, because the thought was not only can we office out of that, but we can have our prayer nights, we can have our discover classes, we can have our special lectures, our equipping modules that are part of our mission member process, um, worship nights. But the board met last week, and, uh, and I'm on the board, so I'm not throwing them under the bus. But we, we were just like, you know, I, this doesn't seem like the wisest thing to do. This doesn't seem like a good thing right now during, due to the current state of our finances. And so to step into that seemed to be maybe not the wisest thing. And, um, and especially based on how things are trending financially for us, which is really unfortunate. And I just want to tell you, I love our board. They are such godly people who love collective church. They're wise. They're good at what they do. And I trust them completely. And I'm so grateful for their wisdom. But there are some other things that we want to do too that I think would actually make a real big impact in our church. But we're not in a position to pull the trigger on those things because we just don't have the resources. So yeah, we love to get into a mid-sized space. There's also some ways that we would love to add to the staff that we have vision for that we think will help us bring things to and help take things to a new level that will really make an impact. But we're just not in a spot to be able to do that. So I would just implore our church family, let's just rise up. Let's be responsible family members and like how can we how can we get behind this together? We really need to turn this around because I believe for a lot of reasons, but one of the things is I really believe that we're on the edge of something special in our church. And so now is the time to get behind what we believe God is calling us to do. We're getting behind what we believe God desires to do and is beginning to do. And at the heart level, it's not just about our money, but at the heart level, being willing to say yes to Jesus and say, I want to be a part of that. 
I want to help facilitate this. I want to see God provide for our church through me. And so just to provide some perspective from Scripture, like, okay, cool, maybe I'll think about it. Um, what, what should be guarding or what should be guiding my perspective as it relates to giving? What does the Bible say about giving? How should I understand what is my responsibility? And I don't have time to go into this deeply, but I'll just share some like brief principles and just list out some principles that, shape, that should be shaping our perspective of giving from Scripture. Scripture tells us that our giving should be cheerful, generous, sacrificial, to be given in, recognitions, uh, in recognition of the first fruits principle, which means as I receive it, I give it. When, I, something, when, you know, when something is received, it's, it's also then becomes something that is given. It's not done reluctantly. It's also not done out of compulsion. But it should also be done in proportion to our income. And there's a bi- biblical precedent that giving 10% of one's income is a good starting point. And on that note, I can tell you, and I've said this publicly before, and I'm happy to still be able to say it, I know for a fact, because I look, and we have conversations, that your pastors are practicing what they preach. So I'm just saying, when we, when we, when we present biblical giving in this way, we are including ourselves as being responsible to follow through on those things. And I'm just happy to say that your pastors are doing that. But as people give faithfully, our church will have the resources that we need to do ministry and it even has the impact beyond collective. So it's just not our bills. It's not making up the deficit of $4,000 so that we can then break even. (laughs) We need obviously more than that, right? So we can move ministry forward. But the giving is beyond us in the ways that we partner with other organizations in the city, the way we help people in need, the way we invest in new churches, the, the most notable one is our primary church planning relationship with a, with a church in Cincinnati. Uh, and there are other church plants that we want to get behind and support and come alongside of. But more than all of that, you know what this is really about? This is just a discipleship issue. It's not even a financial thing. The, the root issue is that this is a discipleship issue. And even if we had, if I could use a Vegas term, if we had a whale here that was personally funding everything all by themselves, I'd still be having this conversation with you. I'd still be addressing this because this is a discipleship issue. We don't, yes, do we have financial needs right now? Yes. And we're gonna be, we've always been very transparent and honest about that and don't apologize for it. For those that give, we owe you an explanation it's your business to know what's going on with the church financially, so we're very happy to share that and talk about that. But if all of our bills were paid for and we had, I'll even say millions in surplus, I'd still be having this conversation because this is a discipleship issue. And we are already living on the generosity of people from the past. People in the past have given faithfully. Some, some of you. And we're eating away at that right now. That's what we're working off. That's what we're operating off of right now. So the invitation is to steward what God has entrusted to you and invest in his work for the sake of the kingdom. 
you know, our, our giving has actually gone down compared to last year. I don't, know, I don't know what's going on. But we're trusting the Lord. And we're asking for him to provide in the way he provides us through his people. Another way for us to engage is our prayer nights. The next one is coming up next week, next Sunday night, 5 o'clock. That's the next announcement we don't have to give later. <laughs> Come join us. Let's pray together, right? Let's collectively seek the Lord. Let's seek his face. Prayer, as I showed you the picture earlier, we, we started with prayer. It will always be a priority for our church. Many of you were at those first prayer meetings. And what prayer does is it aligns our hearts with God's heart. And it's a time where we can learn how to hear his voice and follow the Spirit's leading as we, as we make space in our prayer nights for the Spirit to lead and guide our prayers. And we get to spend time together as a church family in his presence, which is so amazing. And it's important that we do this together and not relegate prayer to a private practice, something that we just do on our own. More on that in a bit. But the invitation is to join together collectively for prayer. The next invitation, uh, as far as ways that we can engage, is getting into God's word. If we're not men and women of the word, we can't expect to know God. We can't expect to know his will or how to follow him. The level of biblical illiteracy in this country is astounding. We don't know the Bible. We don't have a clue. And we're, we're seeing people shaped by culture and conforming to culture and the pattern of this world more than they are being shaped and molded by what God says and how he reveals himself in his word. We need to look to scripture to understand who he is and what he's calling us to and what living for him actually looks like. And as a church, we've adopted a three-part practice. It starts with our weekly Bible passage that we put on our website um, and we put out on our Instagram as well. This is just our weekly Bible passage where we're calling people to just get into the word for the passage that we're gonna be looking at on Sunday. Um, and then we just get into that in the week leading up to Sunday. Then on Sunday, we preach from that passage. And then the third aspect of that is that in our discipleship groups, we then hash out and apply and discuss and support one another to walk in obedience according to the things that we've been learning through that three-part engagement in God's word. So the invitation is to be men and women who seek God in his word. So these are the ways that we can engage in what we're calling our church to. But as we enter into our ninth year, I think we've all realized that there's been a stirring in our church over the last several months towards a, a greater awareness of God's presence. There's been a, a, an openness to the things of the Spirit. And God has gotten our attention. And I think that we're really on the edge of something special. There seems to be a sense that God wants to do something. And I can tell you, in eight years, what I'm beginning to see happen here at Collective, um, it's unprecedented for us. I think we're just on the leading edge of that. And so, in light of that, in light of like observing that there seems to be something that God wants to do, in light of the fact that there's a stirring in our church over the last several months, 
there's a few passages I'd like for us to consider. Uh, and as we do, I'd like for you to pay attention to the nature and the essence of these passages and to note what is being expressed here, okay? Pay attention to what is being expressed by the psalmist. First in Psalm 27, I have asked one thing from the Lord. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. What else we got? Psalm 42. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I long for you, God. I thirst for God, for the living God. When? When can I come and appear before God? Next verse. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. Is there any more? Yeah. Psalm 73. Who do I have in heaven but you? Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. Feel free to engage with me here. How would you describe the expressions of the psalmist here in a word? What was it? Hunger. Hunger. I heard desperate over here. What else? Passion. Passion. What else? What's being expressed in these verses? Pardon me? Need. Desire. Desire. What else? Eagerness. Longing, desperation. desperation. Isn't it beautiful, though, to see this? Like, this can be us. My question is, is it? Is it us? Is it us? Now, I literally, uh, in the passage, I literally read the word desire, and I think someone called it out as well. But obviously, what is being spoken of and what was called out already is not just desire, but a deep desire, right? Desire is table stakes. It's just permission to play. It's like, you know, I want an ice cream cone. I desire an ice cream cone. (laughs) Whatever. Right? This is much deeper than that. This is the kind of desire that I think someone said it over here that comes with desperation. It's the kind of desire that comes with desperation. You know what else it comes with? Frustration. You ever, I hope you've experienced it, but have you ever heard, if you have not experienced it, maybe you've heard of the expression, I love so much that it hurts. Yeah, so there's a desperation. There's a frustration. And it's the kind of desperation that acknowledges that what we need is beyond us. It's just out of our grasp, but a sense that it's accessible. It can be accessed. 
So, so does this describe our church? Does it describe your discipleship group? Does it describe you? Or are we content with the status quo? Are we content with having a relationship with Jesus where we check off the box, but we actually couldn't, these verses couldn't describe us? I want us to experience that level of frustration. I want us to experience that level of desperation where we say, God, I need you. I want to see you work. I want you to light a fire in my heart. I'm unhappy with the current state of my heart. And we just want to press in to him. And here's the thing. It's not measured by emotionalism. Hunger, desire, desperation, all of that can involve emotionalism and our emotions, but it's not measured by that. So have you guys have ever been to a, a prayer night where Charity is there? I mean, she is just laying it all out. <laughs> and she relates to God in a beautiful way. But there are other people who relate to God in a more reserved way, and that's okay. Because what's in your heart as a more reserved person in your expression and in your relationship to God can be the exact same thing that's in Charity's heart as she's just laying it all out. Because it's measured by the state of our heart, not our emotions. So we're not seeking an emotional experience either. We're not pursuing emotions. We're not trying to whip everybody up into a frenzy and create hype. We're seeking not an experience. We're seeking a person. And this is a person, as illustrated in the Psalms, who's brought us into a relationship with himself. And it's totally appropriate for us to recognize our need for him and to call out to him. You know, like there's, uh, I forget which book it is, but in the Old Testament, there is, there's, there's even passages that indicate that God is getting on Israel's case because of a refusal to pursue him, a refusal to draw near to him. Are we drawing near to God? Are we wholeheartedly pursuing God? Are we seeking him? Are we frustrated? Do we desire him so deeply that we're desperate and we're frustrated? Do we desire him so deeply that it almost hurts? Whatever we call it, and you guys had great suggestions, hunger, desire, desperation, yearning, longing, whatever, They're all just uh, they are all just different aspects of wholeheartedly pursuing God. So my, my prayer for our church in our ninth year is that God would be our greatest desire, that we would pursue intimacy with him, that we would experience his presence like never before, that we would cry out to God and ask him to do a work in our day that we've only heard stories about. What if he did it? Do you believe he wants to? That's why we're trying to make space for him.
as Ryan quoted for us a few weeks ago, another pastor saying, God comes where he's wanted. Here's the thing. The hunger that we have, if we have it, hunger is actually a, an indicator of health. It's a sign of health. If you lose your appetite, something's wrong. And if you're a parent and your kid doesn't want to have lunch anymore or doesn't want to have dinner anymore, it's like, mm, what's wrong? Something's wrong. Are you okay? Maybe you don't have kids and can't relate. Do you have a dog? Right? <laughs> right? Where the dog normally just like devours everything you put in its bowl and then one day you fill the bowl and the dog's like, eh, meh. Mm, maybe we should go to the vet. See what's wrong. Hunger is an indicator of health. Don't be upset at your hunger. Welcome your hunger. Be cool with your hunger. Accept the state you're in. It's like, that's where God wants you to be. God wants you to be hungry. It causes that desperation and that frustration that causes us to pursue him deeper with our whole hearts. Sometimes we only pursue God and are, we feel desperate for God when there's a problem. It's like treating God like he's the therapist. I only go to therapy like when my life's really falling apart, but the rest of the time I'm fine, right? But what if we went to God on a daily basis, relating to him and pursuing him and pressing into our relationship with him, asking him to move, asking him to work, as if in the same way that we did when our lives were falling apart, you ever notice that? Your life falls apart, suddenly your prayer life goes up. God help me. What if we were always saying that? But what gets in the way of spiritual color? I'm so sorry. I have no idea how long I'm going. I'm sorry if this is long already, but I'm going to keep going. Is that cool? Can I keep going? What gets in the way of spiritual hunger? I'll try to zip through these. Misplaced passions where we're pursuing the wrong things. Misplaced attention, where we're unaware of our need because we're just not paying attention. Misplaced contentment, because we're just cool with the status quo. Misguided appetite, where we fulfill our appetite with lesser things, right? Back to the analogy of being a parent with kids. If you, if you left it up to them, they'd eat Fruit Loops all day long, right? Not exactly a well-balanced diet. Also, misplaced beliefs, where we are believing Satan's lies about God and his plan for us. That can get in the way of our hunger for God. And all of these are straight out of the devil's playbook. And if, if at any point we've bought into any of these, we need to repent. Spiritual hunger for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, should be the norm. Not just something we do when our lives are falling apart. Spiritual hunger should be the norm. Let's normalize spiritual hunger. Cool? Can we do that? Can we normalize spiritual hunger and normalize the wholehearted, not half-hearted, the wholehearted pursuit of God? Can we do that? So how are we going to do that? How are we going to pursue God? How are we going to draw near to God? Here's four things that we can start with. There are other things we can do, but here's four things that I suggest that we can just start with. First, turn to Jesus. Just recognize, as I mentioned earlier, that he's our king. He already is our king. We don't make him our king. He's already our king, and he deserves our allegiance 
Recognize him as king and give him our allegiance. Seek him with your whole heart, not your half heart. Ask him to light a fire in your heart. Give up control. Stop doing things your own way. Stop believing the lie that God loves you so much that he doesn't mind just a wee little bit of sin. You cannot remain unrepentant and with your life denying the finished work of Jesus on the cross and expect to experience him deeply. Without repentance, God is not welcome in our hearts. And as I mentioned earlier, where we see God rebuking the nation of Israel for their lack of desire to pursue him and to draw near to him, here's the thing, God has an opinion about our ambivalence, about our apathy that we have towards him at times. He has an opinion about that. So turn to Jesus. Second thing, and I referenced this earlier through our Bible engagement process, but get into the word. Make it a daily practice and take the time to soak in it. Read God's word slowly and deliberately and consider its implications. Remember how Ryan walked us through um, the Lord's Prayer several weeks ago? Just like line by line, letting it marinate. Read it slowly. I'm going to break all the Christian rules right now, but I'm not a fan of read the Bible in a year plans. They just add busyness to our task-driven lives, right? We just want to check off the box to get the dopamine hit. Jesus is greater than dopamine. (laughs) Crave Jesus more than dopamine. Spend time with Jesus in his word. Be totally cool with with reading a phrase, reading a verse, a chapter. Read 20 chapters. I don't care, I guess, but I'm just saying, let's just, let, just, let's just soak in God's word and not just treat it like we're checking off the box and the next, the next task that we want to complete. And I know some people geek out on that stuff. I'm not one of them, which is why it takes me two weeks to get back to you on email. <laughs> the next thing is go deep in prayer. E.M. Bounds, I think he wrote 11 books, He died a little over 100 years ago. I think he wrote 11 books. Nine of those books were on prayer. And this is what he said. When prayer becomes an unfamiliar exercise, then God himself is a stranger there. I'm going to read that again. When uh, When prayer becomes an unfamiliar exercise, then God himself is a stranger there. Prayer is where we pursue intimacy with God. Prayer is where intimacy with God is cultivated And this is one, and if you were at the last prayer night, you know that we discussed this. One of the realizations that came out of our last prayer night is that prayer is not for the spiritually elite. It's for the spiritually desperate. Oh, that person, they pray so much. Oh, I wish I had a prayer life like them. It's It's not the activity of the spiritually elite. It's not the practices of the spiritually elite. It's for the spiritually desperate. So if we're desperate and we recognized our desperation and our hunger and we were experiencing that hunger for God and the frustration 
of wanting to be closer to God? What would it look like if we ask God to light a fire in our hearts? What if we ask God to wake up our hearts, to care about the things that he cares about, to align our hearts with his, to recognize the things in our lives, the obstacles and the idols that we've created and set up, the walls around our hearts, and we're like, no, enough of that. Jesus, we need you. Come move in my heart. Change me from the inside out. Move in my church. Move in my city. Prayer itself can even be where we're expressing that frustration. God, I just need you so desperately. Come, move. The next thing of how we cultivate hunger with God is gather with his people. Deprivatize our faith. Recognize that you're a member of the household of God. We have brothers and sisters, so come seek Jesus with your spiritual brothers and sisters. When we give him our praise, he meets us with his presence. When we give him our praise, he meets us with his presence. Um, author Mike Harland, he said this, our, our worship provides a place of meeting with God, a place for us to encounter his very presence and embrace his invitation to join him as he works. But again, even as we're coming together on Sundays and as we make space for the spirit to work and we're experiencing all of that, just know this, that encountering Jesus will be an experience, but Jesus will not necessarily be at the center of every experience because it's the substance of Jesus that we're going after, not just the experience. So if we're gonna cultivate hunger for God, if we want what the psalmist said about himself if we want that to reflect where we're at in our hearts, what then? I've got some more verses I'd like to share with you. What do we got? Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call out to him. All who call out to him with integrity. You will seek me and find me. When you search for me, with all your heart. Second Chronicles, for the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who, will, who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. Another translation puts it, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the, the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Is your heart completely his? Now is the time to take God seriously. Now is the time to take him at his word and even remind him of that. To believe that what he said, he will actually do. To believe his promises. And it, let's be honest, and this is my warning. It might not be when we want it or how we want it, but he will come through. God is not a liar. So are we desperate to see a move of God in our hearts, in our church, and in our city? Do we really believe that without him, we can do nothing? Are we that desperate? 
Do we, do we cling to him? What if, what if we had no chill as it relates to God? Like in my house, when I get up to do something, my dog is like, all right, cool, where are we going? What are we doing? And she'll hop up and she wants to follow me wherever I go. If I go to the backyard, she follows me. If I go to the kitchen, she follows me. If I go to the bathroom, she follows me. Wherever I go, she just wants to be there. And to be honest, sometimes it's super annoying. But God is not annoyed. If we pursue God like that, that's exactly what he wants. He's not annoyed. He's inviting us to that. Will we wholeheartedly pursue and seek God? Will we seek him? with our whole hearts. Last night, I was supposed to go somewhere, and I went out to jump on my motorcycle, and the tire's completely flat. Had to call an Uber. So I jump in the Uber, get to my destination. I get out, and I'm thinking in my mind, like, I think I, I, think I brought something with me into the car. But I look at the seat, and I didn't see anything. And I said, no, I don't have anything in my pockets. Oh, maybe I'm just imagining it. And as I'm, right before I close the door, I even pull out my phone, and I turn on the flashlight. Like, I shine it into the car to see if like, I could see whatever it is that I may or may not have left there. Didn't see anything. And so I'm like, okay, cool, bye. Thanks for the ride. Here's your tip. Five stars, whatever. <laughs> Did my thing. Went back home. Right when we pull up, to the house. All right, cool. I'm going to grab my keys now and walk in my front door. No keys. Left them in the first Uber. And I immediately realized, ah, that sense I had that I forgot something in the Uber, that's what it was. It was my keys. But I looked for my keys. I even grabbed the flash on my phone and I looked, but I, all right, I didn't see it and I just moved on with my life because I didn't wholeheartedly seek for my keys. <laughs> and I realized, man, I'm preaching on this tomorrow. And I realized I kind of like just like, eh, is it? no, okay, fine, bye. I didn't actually seek my keys with my whole heart. We cannot expect to find what we seek when we do not seek with our whole hearts. What were the verses that we read earlier? How badly do we want to see a move of God? How are we seeking him? How much do we want to see a revival in our hearts and in our city? And I'll tell you what, I want that so bad. I couldn't care less about people associating with collective church. I couldn't care less about people associating collective church with a move of God. I couldn't care less about people associating me with a, with a move of God. I just want to experience it. Because here's the thing, if we're not wholeheartedly pursuing God, we're drifting from him. We do not drift towards God. We will drift away from God. And here's one key thing for us to acknowledge. It's beautiful. When we pursue God, we're not the ones initiating it. We're not the ones that are saying, all right, so 
wakey, wakey, I'm going to press in and maybe he'll pay attention. When we pursue God, we're not the ones initiating. God has already moved towards us in his son. He sent his son into the world. So now we can respond by moving towards him. We love him because he loved us first. So when we press into Jesus, when we press into God, it's a response to what he's already done, the way that he's already moved towards us and demonstrating his love for us. 1 John 3 says this, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called his children. So we don't have to stir up anything. We don't have to hype anything up. We just receive his love and love him back. When Jesus came into an uninviting world, it was his invitation for us to come to him. We cannot rescue ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Salvation is of the Lord. We cannot set ourselves free. And only God can do for me what I cannot do for myself. So if we're going to pursue God I believe it begins with repentance. And the kind of repentance I'm talking about in the pursuit of God, I'm not talking about groveling and cowering, hoping that God doesn't crush us. I'm not talking about that kind of repentance. Where I'm such a, you know, I'm such a sinner and I'm a horrible person. And like, yeah, we have to be real with God and, 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 and acknowledge our state in relation to God for sure. But even as sinners, who have placed our faith in Jesus, and if you haven't, you can. We can run to him with an assurance of his love and his forgiveness, and that confidence comes on the basis of his finished work on the cross. We can confess to God that we've been pursuing the wrong things, that we've become ambivalent, apathetic, and grown content with the status quo, that we've been fulfilling our appetites with lesser things. I think repentance is where the pursuit of God starts. And then having taken care of business in that kind of a way, then I think it's on like Donkey Kong. Like King David, I want to be a man or woman that is after God's heart. I want to pursue God with every fiber of my being. I want to ask God to light a fire in my heart. I want to ask God to pour out his spirit on me, my church and my city. That can be the cry of our hearts. And we can pursue Jesus and enter his presence on the basis of what he already did for us. So God, would you do it? We don't have to be super spiritual about it. We just have to be desperate. God, do it. <laughs>